What a good time in worship. I love it that we uh, get to sing together and open God's Word. Uh, so good morning. Uh, today we are continuing in our beautiful Attitudes teaching series, our uh, learning adventure through uh, the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, let's start off by uh, maybe thinking together a little bit. Uh, by a show of hands, how many are pretty familiar with the Sermon on the Mount in general and maybe the Beatitudes specifically? Okay. It's in pretty heavy rotation in our Christian upbringing and our uh, discipleship. When you think about the, be the Beatitudes, what words come to mind uh, to describe them for you? What do they mean to you? How would you express that to me? What words come to mind? Blessed. Blessed, right? That's good, yes. What else? Hopeful. Hopeful, good. Challenging. <laughs> Challenging, that's true too. Contradictory, kind of. Okay, kind of, uh, it can seem contradictory, yeah. The underdog. Yeah, the underdog, that God's fighting for the, the, the underdog, yeah. Countercultural. Countercultural, absolutely. We talked about the upside down kingdom. Jesus' vision of the kingdom is really upside down when placed up alongside the world as it is right now. How about one more? Eric? Tempting to be nonviolent. Tempting to be non-violent. Or attempting. Okay, not tempting. Like, ooh, I'm really feeling pressure here. Peer pressure to be non-violent. You know, I felt pretty confident asking that question because I, I knew that there'd be responses. The Sermon on the Mount is, is really popular. It's familiar to us. It's familiar to most Christians, but it's also pretty familiar to even those who would say they're not followers of Jesus. Oftentimes in the media or in popular culture, I'll even hear uh, appeals to the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, most people, what they know, if they know anything of the Christian faith, uh, comes from what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. We love the encouragement we find in the Sermon on the Mount. We love the hopefulness we hear in Jesus' message, don't we? We love it. We, we need it. I love it that we get to hear this from our Savior Jesus. 
These are the kind of things he wants to communicate to us. Does life seem unfair? Well, cheer up. Why? Because God is on your side. Who doesn't need to hear that, <laughs> right? Have you been mistreated? Well, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope because God will bring justice. Are you grieving? Are you mourning a deep, painful, a great loss? Well, get this. God sees you and God will comfort you. What Jesus is saying, it speaks to our souls. It speaks to that deepest part of us that sometimes wonders, does anybody care? Does anybody see me, hear me? Is anyone going to do anything about this? This is what Jesus is speaking to. God will comfort you. Jesus' sermon has become a source of strength for many, and rightly so. I think this is why Jesus went around teaching this message, that we would cling to it and draw strength, draw hope from it. Here, uh, even in the dulcet tones that we've come to hear it in over time, we listen to Jesus' words and we hear something startling about God's heart, about Jesus' desire to bring about healing and to bring about justice in the world, a world that is in desperate need of healing and in desperate need of justice. Even now in our broken world, a world so beset with pain and hatred, we find solace when we hear Jesus' promises here in Matthew chapter 5. We find solace and comfort when we hear Jesus' words spoken so long ago on that hillside in Matthew. So today, let's once again hear those, be those beautiful attitudes that are commended to us by Jesus these characteristics of those who find themselves blessed in His kingdom. If you want, I'd invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 or scroll there on your phone. Matthew chapter 5. Let's once again read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, He went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around Him and He began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who's, who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. As we hear Jesus' iconic words of peace and of promise, we must remember this. It's always important to remember context. What's happening in this moment? It's important to remember that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was heard by real people. It wasn't dictated into a scroll. 
It wasn't like on, a, on just some placard somewhere. He's surrounded by real people. These people were living in a very real place. They were living in a very real time. They were immersed in a very real socio-political climate. They carried all this experience, all these factors with them as they settled in around Jesus that day. Being a first century Jew, living in Roman-occupied Palestine, you were likely feeling what? Frustrated. Frustrated. This was maybe your default setting. You're living in Roman-occupied Palestine in the first century, and you were just kind of miffed. No one likes to be occupied, right? You are chafing under this oppression of a foreign power. And to make matters worse, not only were they oppressing, and not only were they foreign, they were also unclean. So everywhere these Roman soldiers went, these outside interlopers went, it made it unclean. It made it uh, ceremonially unclean. You had to, it became extra work to live your life with God because you were living among this unclean people who were just messing the place up. They were, there were, there indeed were many in Israel that were frustrated. There were some in Israel that were itching for a fight. There were people that were looking for a fight, for a violent revolution to overthrow these occupiers. They weren't just frustrated, they were ready to take up arms to overthrow the Roman, the Roman occupiers. Jesus' audience was populated with men and women who were eager, eager to usher in a new exodus, a new era of freedom for God's chosen people. Indeed, this is what God had done in the past. This is what God has done for Israel over and over again. So surely he must want to do that now, to lead us out of oppression into the promised land. The people gathered around Jesus were a lot like us in many ways. They were conflicted in their hearts. They were conflicted in their hearts. And here's what I mean by that. They truly desired to know God, but they also really wanted to punch somebody in the face. Does anyone else feel like that sometimes? It's like, man, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to follow Jesus. But man, sometimes I just really want to throat punch somebody. Because people deserve it, right? I mean, this is a frustrating time to live in. And it was a frustrating time back then. So people were conflicted in their hearts. They felt these two different impulses. Like, oh, I want to follow God. I want to be one of His people in the world. But man, I could really go for some nunchucks right now. You know? Their world was so polarized. You think it's polarized now. Think about living under active occupation and oppression from a foreign power. Their world was so polarized with ethnic suspicion, ethnic rivalry, historical violence, this simmering hatred, this baked-in sense of us and them thinking. Man, this just informed everything. The way you perceived the world around you, the way you interacted with it, it was just uh, framed by this, this, the, these factors. This ethnic suspicion and rivalry, historical violence, simmering hatred, and this us and them thinking. It was hard not to get caught up in the political climate that was swirling all around as they pursued a deeper understanding of God. 
As they went to that hillside, as they found a place in the grass around Jesus, this was the world in which they lived. So the kingdom ethics that Jesus presents in his sermon, right off the bat, right out of the gate, he goes to address the all-too-familiar angst and anxiety that we too are buffeted by in our chaotic world. Jesus knew his audience. He knew what they brought with them as they settled in around him. And so that is what he speaks to from the very beginning. What I think is important to notice here is that Jesus does not point our minds and our hearts to some distant ethereal shore. He doesn't say, hey, just hang in there, be strong, wait for heaven. He doesn't draw our, 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 our minds and our hearts to this other place, far away. He doesn't shower his listeners with therapeutic religious platitudes. He doesn't go, on, he doesn't go in for promoting a, a sort of mind over matter thinking. He is sharing real, substantial encouragement for those who will listen and those who will fight this urge to rise up and revolt. Jesus is making promises to those who will indeed choose the path of meekness and peacemaking in the world. I can't help but think this isn't a timely message for us. This is a, something we need to hear too because we feel that pressure. We feel that desire to rise up and revolt now too. So we need to hear Jesus' message about meekness and peacemaking in our world. One of the... Uh, Commentaries I was using to prepare this message is called the InterVarsity Press New Testament Commentary. And uh, it had a really good uh, summary of what Jesus is doing here and how he's unpacking uh, his true, the truth in this message. He's, the, the commentary says this, and it makes two important points which I'll point out. The blessings of the Beatitudes are for a people ready for the kingdom's coming. This passage shows what kingdom-ready people should be like. Hence, it shows us prerequisites for the kingdom as well as kingdom promises. First, kingdom people do not try to force God's whole will on a world unprepared for it. Many first century Jews had begun to think that revolutionary violence was the only adequate response to the violence of oppression they experienced. Matthew's first audience, no doubt, could recall the bankruptcy of this approach, which led to the crushing defeat in the war of AD 66 to 73. But Jesus promises the kingdom not to those who try to force God's hand in their time, but to those who patiently and humbly wait for it the meek, the poor in spirit, the merciful, the peacemakers. Of course, Jesus' demand does not merely challenge the bloodshed of revolution. Peacemakers means not only living at peace, but bringing harmony among others. This role requires us to work for reconciliation with spouses, with neighbors, and all people, insofar as the matter is up to us. So the first point is, kingdom people do not try to force God's whole will on a world that is unprepared for it. The second point, God favors the humble, those who trust in Him rather than in their own strength. God favors the humble, those who trust in Him rather than in their own strength. For one thing, the humble are not easily provoked to anger. These are the poor in spirit, 
the meek, those who appear in Jewish texts as the lowly and oppressed. Because the oppressed poor become wholly dependent on God, some Jewish people used poor in spirit as a positive religious as well as economic designation. Thus, it refers not merely to the materially poor and oppressed, but to those who have taken that condition to their very heart by not allowing themselves to be deceived by the attraction of wealth. Jesus promises the kingdom to the powerless, the oppressed who embrace the poverty of their condition by trusting in God rather than favors from the powerful for their deliverance. Get this. The inequities of this world will not forever taunt the justice of God. God will ultimately vindicate the oppressed. This promise provides us both hope to work for justice and grace to endure the hard path of love. I'll read that last part again. The inequities of this world will not forever taunt the justice of God. He will ultimately vindicate the oppressed. This promise provides us both the, the hope to work for justice and the grace to endure the hard path of love. When I think about the people gathered around Jesus on that hillside that day, I find solidarity with them. I find solidarity with those people gathered with Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. It's not easy to be a peacemaker. It's not easy to be a peacemaker. It's not easy to be meek and humble in our world today because everywhere you look, we're provoked. We're provoked. It's so easy to be offended. There's so much to be angry about in our world, socially, politically, culturally. It's easy for Christ followers to begin praying th through clenched teeth. Praying to our, our Lord and Savior Jesus through clenched teeth with clenched fists. It's tempting to rise up and to try to bring about the kingdom by force. We're quick to baptize our anger. We're quick to, to take and baptize our anger and couch it in religious language because we're waiting for a revolution. We are eager for somebody to come and make those people pay for our pain. Because someone should pay, right? So we want Jesus to come and make someone pay for our pain. It's like, like the French revolutionaries in the tale of two cities. They were crying, liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. But the problem with our revolutionary impulse is that our high ideals, they quickly devolve into the exact same evils we've worked so hard to dismantle. This is why in A Tale of Two Cities, Dickens laments, liberty, equality, fraternity, or death, the last, much the easiest to bestow, O guillotine. If you're familiar with this story in the French Revolution, they went out uh, demanding liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. But the easiest thing that they were able to dispense in that moment was death. They rolled out Lady Guillotine, and so many people died. So in the effort, the desire to throw off oppression, they unveiled and they, they promoted an even worse evil. And so many times we, have to, we see that happening in our world, and we must be very careful. We can easily find ourselves swinging swords like Peter in the garden, chopping off ears and trying to initiate and lead the way in Jesus' revolution. We can find ourselves like Judas, trying to force a confrontation between Jesus and the oppressive powers by any means necessary. 
But here's the problem. When we take matters into our own hands, we, like Peter, can end up living and dying by the sword, as Jesus warns. And like Judas, we can end up betraying Jesus with the best of intentions. We can end up betraying our Savior with the best of intentions and ultimately end up doing the work of evil in the world. So what does this tell me? It tells me we need to hear Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. We need it as much today as we've ever needed it. We need to be encouraged. We need to be hopeful. But guys, we also need to be critiqued. We need to be critiqued. Many of us, uh, especially in our current climate, we each need to check our hearts. There's so much going on and there's so much uh, toxicity and there's so much anger. It can creep into our own hearts. So we need to check our hearts. Many of us have not been peacemakers. Many of us have gone forth into the fray and we've not been peacemakers. We've not been poor in spirit. We've not been meek. We've not been merciful. We've not been patient in suffering. We've not been trusting in God for our ultimate deliverance. We've not been trusting in God for justice. You guys, I see your Facebook feeds. I see your Instagram stories. We've not been peacemakers. We've not been trusting in God for justice. There are things for which I need to repent. There are things for which I need to repent in my own attitudes, in my own anger. And guys, I don't think I'm alone. There are things we need to repent of. There are things we need to repent of in our attitudes and our angers. I want the beautiful attitudes of Jesus to define me, to guide me, as I join Him in His revolution of faith, of hope, and of love. I'd like to close with this, this scripture meditation. If you'll turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, let's hear Paul's parallel passage here. This passage he's talking about living as being living sacrifices. And you'll hear certain echoes of the beautiful attitudes, of the Beatitudes in Paul's words here. So uh, turn to Romans 12, and we'll look at verses 9 through 21. You can read along with me, or maybe if it's better, just close your eyes and listen. Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love, or do not just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the, spirit, the scriptures say, 
I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we enter into your presence today, confessing our faith in him, but also our need for him. We need your Holy Spirit to come and do a work inside of each of us. God, because all of us have been tempted. All of us have felt frustration. All of us have felt the urge to rise up and take up arms against our oppressors. God, we need to be reminded. We need to be re-centered in our gospel hope. We need to hear Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount and take courage, take hope, but also we need to be critiqued. And so, God, this morning I think this is a perfect opportunity for your Holy Spirit to critique each and every one of us. God, how do we go into our world to be peacemakers? How do we go into the world as a people who are aware but also patient and confident in your desire and your intention to bring justice in the world? Lord, I pray that those areas, those times when my flesh wants to rise up, when I want to take matters into my own hands, when I want to wrestle Jesus' kingdom down to earth right here, right now, in my way, I pray that I would uh, relinquish that, repent of that, and once again become available for you to do your work through me. So God, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts today, call us to a place of, uh, of confession, of repentance. God, baptize our hearts, baptize our minds, baptize our social media. <laughs> oh man, the work you're doing in this world is indeed largely being done through your people. So God, I pray that we would, we would get out of our own way, we'd stop tripping over our own feet, so that above all, we would become known as your peacemakers in the world that we're meek, that we're willing to put Jesus above all. So God, do a work here, I pray. Uh, I pray that uh, our church would really turn a corner on this, that we would start to lead out in our family, in our marriages, our families, our social uh, circle of friends, our workplaces, our schools, in our community, as a people who are intentional about glorifying Jesus by obeying His commands. God, help us know more and more what it means to be peacemakers. Make us more and more able to trust in you, to bring about a good end in our world. Lord, teach us to trust in you. Lord, we lift our prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so that's something to carry with us for sure because Monday's coming tomorrow and uh, we'll walk right back out into this world and back into the, all the noise and all the chaos. But I pray that we would be coming from a place of, uh, uh, of centered identity and empowerment in Jesus. It's His commands that we should first hear. That which should first resonate in our souls as we engage our day and interact with people. To be peacemakers. So that's my, my encouragement to you. I have a couple of announcements I'd like to make. Hey, just so you know, last week Kiki didn't come because her car got stolen. I didn't want to say that from up here, but it was really sad. She's like, oh, I would like to be there, but my car just got stolen. 
So from ambassadors, uh, so be praying that Kiki finds her car or uh, is able to get a, another vehicle. But uh, whenever it's possible, I'd like to have Kiki from ambassadors come and share with us. But uh, I told her that was an excused absence if you uh, have your car stolen, you, you get to reschedule with us. Um, offering, uh, we view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship. Um, Back at the back is the iPad. If you like to give with a debit card, there's a basket at the back as well. There's also one up here. But I just want to uh, be intentional about creating an opportunity for you to, to give of your time and resources uh, to the Lord. So, uh, let's see. Students, any, any announcements? I know there's something in the works for tonight, huh? Uh, we're going to have a water board tonight. Water board? <laughs> That's controversial. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, okay, water wars. Okay. <laughs> okay, and it's at your guys' house? Okay, great. Grady? Uh, Adam mentioned it this morning because we saw it. I don't know if you guys saw it on Facebook. No, stand up. I love this little guy. He had a friend who was working through salvation last week, and he ended up talking to his friend and reading some stuff in that in the uh, Pilgrim's Progress for Kids book, and he has received the Lord as his Savior and has been baptized. And it was worked out where a bunch of people we know and, and used to worship with, we're all here together, and we baptized him in the creek last night. So. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I love seeing that. God's still drawing people to himself. And um, yeah, that's encouraging. This past Friday, we had our second Love Thy Neighbor event with Victory Mission, and we had lots of people come through on foot and in vehicles. But I just had some great conversations and opportunity to pray with people but, and also meet their uh, food needs. And uh, so the second and fourth Fridays of the month, we're going to be doing that here in our back parking lot from 1 to 2.30. So um, you can see me or you can see Heather Haynes to get signed up, uh, but there's a way to volunteer and uh, just really do a good thing in our neighborhood. So. <laughs> what on the street? <laughs> yeah, but we actually got to meet them too, so uh, that was good too. Uh, back on the back uh, table back there is uh, the Hope and Anchor t-shirts. If you're interested in uh, getting your hands on a Hope and Anchor t-shirt, see Christy. And uh, that's all I have. Any other announcements? I got one. Yeah, go ahead, Dale. So, uh, you guys know that I'm involved with uh, Men's Encounter and Sue's involved with Ashes of Beauty. And so she just came back from Ashes of Beauty. It was really a great time. There were um, 608 women there, and 45 women received Christ and got baptized. So that's really cool. So anyway, um, tonight is the um, closing of registration for the next men's encounter, which is August 14th, 15th, and 16th, that weekend. Um, so if any guys want to register for that, um, at midnight tonight, the registration closes. Um, the cost is $125, um, but I believe they will still have room even after registration closes. It's just the price goes up by $25. So if you want to go um, and the registration is closed, let me know. Um, but it's an awesome weekend. Um, it's a great weekend to just go and worship the Lord. It's 14 sessions over a man's life, and I would encourage all of you to go at some point or another. Awesome. Yep. All right, well, let's stand and pray as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon.